um, in the context of Holy Communion will be... Um, you might want to keep that open, um, that reading open in front of you. Uh, we're going to take a bit of a run up to it. So when I eventually get to Galatians 1 chapter 11, and I've already been speaking for 25 minutes, it's okay, alright? It, it's not that we're going to do 25 minutes of verse. Once we hit the passage, uh, we're going to move through it pretty, pretty quickly. Um, so Galatians, Galatians, it's sort of like uh, Paul's version of Ultimate Fight Club. Pitched that all wrong, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> well, people never, <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll show you a video of Ultimate Fight Club one evening in a service, and you'll see what I mean. It's kind of like boxing, but more violent and in a cage. And, and that's kind of what Galatians is like. There is a, a real aggression and a brutality in, in the book of Galatians. And as we go through it, I think we're going to be, well, we were probably struck last week with some of the, uh, just how, how strident Paul's language is. Um, and and, and he, he is really prepared to put his body on the line for some of the issues that are coming up in, in the book of Galatians. Um, and one of the questions I'm going to be asking us uh, tonight is, like, it, it's kind of, does that atmosphere, does that, does that resonate with us? Or, or let me put it more bluntly, like, do we care about truth as much as Paul does? Or are we happy just to go, well, you know, who cares about the details? Welcome to church, that's fine. And Paul's like, no, it's not fine. And he is prepared to get pretty wild uh, and to work pretty hard to make sure that people are on the same page. So we're, we're going to be thinking that sort of question through uh, a bit tonight um, and as we go through the next couple of sections of the book of Galatians. I'm going to pray for us because I think we, we're going to struggle. If we, if we didn't struggle with last week, I think we are going to struggle as we go through Galatians because I think it's, it's a different atmosphere. It's a different climate from the one that we're used to, to, uh, to, to living and worshipping and thinking in. Um, we're in a culture that prizes uh, a tolerance. If you're at the youth um, training day with um, Mel Lacey. If you weren't at it, you missed an absolute blinder. I, an incredible sort of vision being laid out for uh, what we want to grow into in terms of our, our young people. But if you were there, you will have heard that um, Mel giving just a little bit of uh, kind of analysis of what's going on in our culture and how you know, we're used to the idea of having to tolerate people that we disagree with. That's kind of one of the great virtues. Um, of, of our culture in many ways, that, that we are tolerant of people we disagree with. But Mel said, actually, the emphasis has changed. That it's not just that we need to tolerate people. The pressure is now that we validate people that we disagree with. We have to legitimize what they think and what they do. Um, and and, and lit, coming out of that sort of culture, that atmosphere, that Paul... He's not coming across as validating the people he's disagreeing with. I don't even think he's tolerating the people that he's disagreeing with. I mean, the language last week, you know, pe- you know, let them be eternally condemned. Let them be under God's curse. Strong stuff. And, and it's probably stuff that doesn't sit well with us. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get, get into this. Um, 
but I feel like that's you know plausible deniability now. You, you know, if, if you if you struggle with it, at least I warned you it was coming. I can I can sleep at night. All right, Father, um, I pray that you will give us uh, as we go through Galatians the same kind of heart and passion for the gospel that Paul had. Yeah, he cared about it so so deeply. For him, it really mattered that people understood and didn't just understand but believed and embraced and lived by this gospel. For him, it wasn't, um, you know, take it or leave it, or, you know, it'd be really nice if everybody agreed, but, you know, we have to learn to live with. No, he was like, he was, you know, we, we, we see in Galatians, he was feisty, and, and he was prepared to fight for the, uh, this church and for the message that would be at the heart of this church and for the belief and the doctrine and the ideas that would shape the life of the people who were involved in this church. Would you please help us to be able to connect with that, to make sense of it, to understand why it matters so much, and to begin to, to, I suppose, to learn from Paul's example. We saw last week he was he was um, held up by you, and you, you put your seal of approval on Paul and what he taught and, and, and how he taught it. So we're not looking at, at somebody's um, sinful, disproportionate reaction get the better of them. You know, this is this is a, a righteousness and a holiness that we see in Paul that you loved and that you inspired. So I pray that you will help us as we reflect on this together, not not just now, but in in the weeks ahead as we do. We ask you in Jesus' name. Right, so, uh, right, um, sometimes as Christians, we, we fall into the trap of hearing kind of sound bites that, that sound really good, it really sounds like it's what the Bible says, and we sort of buy it, and, and we use it, and we talk it, uh, and it even starts to appear in some of our songs and things, but... When you stop and think about it, it might not actually be what the Bible says. Um, and I'm going I'm to come back to this. So if this, if this, if, if you're like, what? Then don't worry, we'll, we'll, we'll unpick this over, over the weeks ahead. But we, we talk about things like um, the unconditional love of God. Right? Sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds like that's probably what the Bible teaches, isn't it? Or, or, or say it differently, kind of the whole question of, you know, God accepts you as you are. That sounds, that sounds like Christianity, doesn't it? That sounds like the gospel. Um, well, I, I just want to suggest, <laughs> all right, man, I'm in trouble here, I can tell. I can tell, if you can see what I can see. I'm like scared, I'm like, whoa, I thought it might get your attention, but really, <laughs> um, you know, what's going on is, well, this, this whole idea of, you know, God relates to us unconditionally. Right? I'm just going to, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to say that is really not what the Bible teaches. All right? Now, don't, don't, don't drag me out and stone me just, just yet. Um, but I, I want to suggest to you that there is, there is, when you actually get what the Bible is saying, there is a condition that needs to be met. If you're going to be accepted by God, 
you're going to be loved by God, if you're going to be in relationship with God, there is a condition. And the biblical word for that condition is righteousness. Yeah? Righteousness. Holiness is another word that sort of speaks to the same kind of idea. That, that actually, we have to be, if I can put it, take it out of that sort of theological, biblical sounding language and just put it into plain English as it were, we have to be good enough to be accepted by God. Alright? Now, interestingly, I think people recognize this really, uh, uh, really quite clearly. We, we have a deep kind of instinct for this. Um, even people who aren't Christians know that uh, we have to be good enough for God. Right? Uh, and, and there, there are a lot of questions around that. Uh, in our culture, we tend to have a very optimistic view of humanity. You know, we tend to have a very optimistic view that says, basically, uh, we, we learn to see ourselves as good people. We are basically good people, right? Uh, now, we know, of course, there are bad people uh, as well. But bad people by bad people, we mean, like, really, really, really evil people. You know, the Stalins and the Hitlers and the, the Chairman Maos and the Pol Pots and the Mugabes of, of the world. Right? But what's really interesting here is because what we're doing is we're saying, well, you know, at least I'm better than these guys. Which probably means what? That I'm good enough. Because right? I'm not as bad as these other people. I'm good enough. I have had this conversation, honestly, I have had this conversation more times than I can possibly remember or count. Um, when I'm talking to people who are not Christians, and how often they're like, well, you know, the idea is God's a forgiving God, and I'm basically a good person, so I'm probably going to be okay. And I'm certainly not as bad as some of these other people that I can mention. Like that, I think, is a, is a hugely popular way uh, for thinking. Now, of course, like we're sitting here, we've got the scriptures open in front of us, we, we know what the Bible says, and we know that this is an utterly kind of naive way of thinking about God. It's an utterly superficial way of thinking about humanity. Um, and actually, what I find really interesting is that although we are constantly, as our culture, being told that we're basically good people, that we are good people, we are good people, we are good people, people actually, when you get them on their own, as it were, have a deep sense that they are not good enough. Right? I have invited so many people to church over the years. And when people say no, the hands down the most common reason they give for not coming. What is it? I'm not good enough. Hands down. I'm not good enough. See, we have this. This is deep, deep, deep in us. Alright? Now, we know, we know that this issue of being good enough is a really important issue. Alright? Atelophobia. The fear 
of not being good enough. Now, here's the thing. When, when this awareness, all this stuff that's going on inside us, when this hits religion, alright, when, when, when this question, this crisis that we have about being good enough, when this hits religion, one of two things always happen. It's binary, there are only two options, and as we're going to see in, in our reading tonight, these are mutually exclusive. You cannot walk down both these roads at the same time. Alright, when, when we start getting kind of religious about this question, am I good enough, one of two things happens. The first is, we hit what we call in the church, legalism. Now legalism, um, it basically goes, alright, I know that I am not good enough for God. But, but, I also know that there are some things that I can do that will make me good enough for God. That will make me acceptable for God. Alright, and, and, and it could be anything. All kinds of different things, depending on which religion you kind of tap into with this. It's going to look differently. The church, the Christ, Christianity has its version of legalism. People who come to church because they think that coming to church will make them good enough for God. Alright, or they think praying will make them good enough for God, or reading the Bible will make them good enough for God, or, or giving to charity will make them good enough for God. There are these things that we can do. There are duties that we can perform, moral behaviors that we can cultivate, habits, uh, maybe certain spiritual experiences that we can enter into. And if we can just do these things, if we can do enough of these things, then, then we will become acceptable to God. Now, the reason I'm laboring this is because this is, this is the option that the church in Galatia is buying into. Right? The false teachers, these, these false apostles that, that have, have turned up in the church of Galatia, this is the issue that they are, um, this is what they're teaching. This is what they are teaching. Now, this will become more obvious as we go through the letter. But the, the bottom line is, like, you know, we know this, and we're so susceptible to this. Because we know deep down inside, we know we're not good enough. So somebody comes along and says, right, um, here's what you need to do to become good enough. We're like, oh, my goodness for that. Somebody who knows what they're talking about, I'll do that. And we're so susceptible to this. We're so susceptible to this. Uh, the, what the Galatians, these teachers at Galatians seem to be saying is, look, all right. The whole thing with Jesus dying on the cross. Yep, that's, let's, let's take that. That's an important part of the equation. But it is only part of the equation. You know, Jesus deals with our sin. He deals with our past. But now, now that that's happened, you now need to, to, to follow certain laws, certain religious programs. There are certain religious rituals you have to go through in order to become now good enough, righteous enough uh, for God. Now, I'm, I'm going I'm to tip, tip, tip my hand here uh, and, and basically give you the punchline so that you can have this in your head as we go through Galatians because this makes Galatians make a lot more sense, I think. Because what I want you to see right at the outset is that these guys that Paul is going up against and he's getting into the ring with, you know, um, what they've done is they've actually they've taken something away from the gospel. They've taken something away from authentic 
Christianity. And they have then added their own ideas. Right? And we've got to get both those things are happening. And that's why Paul is he's gunning for them. Because they, they've actually chopped the gospel in half. And they've thrown out one half of it. And they've added their own ideas to it. And so completely distorted and deformed the, uh, the idea that is now at the heart of the church in Galatia. They've gone, look, you know, the whole thing about being righteous, you don't get that from Jesus. You get that from your performance. That's what they've done. It's not that Jesus makes you righteous. All right? Jesus kind of brings you back to kind of ground zero, sort of neutrality. He deals with the sin, but now you have to be good enough yourself. You have to be religious enough. You have to be spiritual enough. Otherwise, you will not be good enough for God. Before you add anything to the gospel, you have to take something away. Now, let me just be really clear. Alright, I'm lining up with Paul on this. This is not Christianity. It is not Christianity. Alright? you got these two options, like I said. When this question of how do I become good enough for God, when this question hits religion, you've got two options. You've got legalism, right? We're not going there. Let's just be clear. That's not where we're lining up. The other option is you go to Jesus. You see, what we tend to forget is that Christianity is all about the question of how do we become good enough for God. That's, that is the question that the gospel answers. How can people like you and me, you know, how can we fulfill the conditions for fellowship with God, for acceptance by God, for being loved by God? And of course, the answer that the Bible gives, first and foremost, is you can't. You can't. To be good enough to stand in the presence of God. To be righteous enough to be able to relate to God is simply beyond the grasp of sinful humanity. In fact, it's worse than that. It is deadly to try if you're part of sinful humanity. Remember this um, from, from Isaiah. Isaiah sees Jesus, remember? Um, we were told that in John chapter 12, that when Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up, that is Jesus, before Jesus becomes a human being. All right, he is, he is lifted up, and you know these seraphim are flying around his head. They've got six wings. With two wings, they cover their faces. With two, they're covering their feet. With two, they're flying, and they're calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, that holy, holy, holy. All right, let me tell you something. That, that is an act of worship. If you like, as these seraphim gaze on Jesus, they are worshiping. But it is also a warning to Isaiah. Right? Holy, holy, holy is danger. Keep out. Right? Isaiah, and Isaiah gets it. So his response is, woe to me. I'm undone. Right? I, I'm, literally, I'm falling apart in the press. I cannot stand.
in the presence of this God. I am not good enough to be able to continue existence in the presence of the holy, holy, holy God. Right? And that is the, the fundamental issue on which the whole reality of the gospel is built. Right? That we can never be good enough for God. Which is a bit of a relief, really. Because you know what it means we can stop trying. And start trusting. Because this is the gospel. It is not that God's acceptance of us is unconditional. That is not Christianity. Christianity is there is a condition and you can't meet it but Jesus has met it for you. Right? Over the years there is a thing here, okay? <laughs> Over the years, um, theologians, right? So people who like their whole life is just studying the Bible and writing books and, and, and really getting to grips with what the Bible teaches. Um, these, these theologians, they call this um, alien righteousness. Right? Um, and and, and it's, it's the idea that it is a righteousness that comes to us from outside of ourselves. That invades us from beyond ourselves. Right? That, that this is not something that belongs to us, in a sense. It hasn't come from us. It's not indigenous. It comes to us from outside. And you get Paul, Paul talks about this very openly, doesn't he? Think, think about it in Philippians chapter 3, when Paul talks about how he wants a righteousness that is not his own. It's not a righteousness that comes from the law, but a righteousness that comes to him by faith in Jesus. Alright, see, we look to Jesus. Right? It was Jesus who came born of a virgin who had been overshadowed by the Spirit of God so that his humanity was a sinless humanity. It was Jesus who resisted the devil and temptation and walked through this world without his holiness ever being breached. It was Jesus who fought temptation to its fullest extent where we would have capitulated and given in long before. It is Jesus it is Jesus, it is Jesus, it is Jesus. It is Jesus who lives the life of human righteousness that is adequate to stand in the presence of God. And then, having forged that righteousness out in, 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 the, in the furnace of his own life, his own experience of humanity, he then takes that righteousness that goodness, that holiness. And he gives it 
there's no condition. It's that God came and met the condition and then presented it to us as a gift. It's a value. Jesus, when Jesus is dying on the cross, right, what does he say? It is finished. Right? I have done everything that needs to be done. He doesn't die on the cross and go, alright guys, well, I've done my bit, now it's over to you. That's not the gospel. That's not Christianity. Christianity is, it has all been done, all of it, everything, everything has been done by Jesus. And then, he's given it to us. As an act of grace and generosity. Now, here is the question that is facing the church at Galatia. It's like, all right, you've got these two options. All right, you've got these guys who are teaching you, and they're going the legalism route. They're going, okay, you know, Jesus, that's good as far as it goes, but you need this other stuff. You need this other religion. You need this other morality. You need this other experience. You need these other rituals and ceremonies. You need now to be good enough yourself in order to make it to God. Or, you've got the message that Paul brings, which is, you can't do it, give up and trust Jesus. You know, that's, that's the Which are you going to believe? Which are you going to listen to? Right? Or put it another way, who is telling the truth? Who is actually tapping into the reality of how God relates to his people? Is it Paul? Or is it these other teachers? Whose gospel will you listen to? Will you commit yourself to? Will you build your life on? Which message will you trust to swing out into eternity relying on? Where are we going to put our allegiance? I want you to struggle to feel the urgency of this. And I go, Sam, let me start. You see, we just, we find it hard to get excited about, you know, who's right. You know, where's truth? Our whole culture, everything about the way we're trained and taught is about, well, you know, you have your truth and that works for you and I have my truth and that works for me and it would be kind of arrogant and judgmental to say that my truth isn't real truth or, do you know what I mean? It's, it's you know, for us, we, we don't even ask the question of truth anymore. What we care about is, does it work? You know, that, and, and, and even as Christians, we bring this into the church. You know, we're like, we're, you know, our, our attitude is like, well, you know, these big cosmic questions, we, we don't really know. None of us can really know. It doesn't really matter what you believe. Just find a church that works for you. By which we often mean, find a church it's going to make you feel better about yourself, that helps you through life, where you can have some experience of God in some way and just, just get on with it. You know, I've even heard people say things like, look, I, I go to this church and the teaching isn't great, but the worship is brilliant. Right? Just how dangerous is that? Well, for Paul, what's being taught that's not just pedantic trivia. You know, what Paul is saying is the message is how you meet with God. 
Remember from last week, I am astonished that you're so quickly turning away from the one who called you. How are they doing that? Because they're beginning to believe a different message. The message is how you relate to God. And if the message isn't right, then whatever it is you're experiencing, it isn't God. Now, we struggle with it. You know, we, 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 people, people, doctrine divides. And we'll, we'll look at that next week. People, we, we don't want an intellectual faith. You know, how you live is more important than what you believe. We don't want to be judgmental. Right? We read a book like Galatians and we struggle to see what all the fuss is about. I mean, they're Christians, aren't they? Does it really matter if they dot all the I's and cross all the T's? Does it matter if they're right on everything? Well, Paul seems to think so. The whole letter is saying it really does matter because the message is how you are reconciled to God. The message is how you relate to God. It's not, a, it's not how sincere are you in what you believe. It's not how committed are you. It's not how does the message make you feel. The, the, the issue is, is this true? Does this actually correspond to the way the world really is? Does what you believe correspond to the way God really is? Does it correspond to the way you really are? Now look, it's possible, let me let, hear, hear this really clearly. It is possible to get things wrong in good conscience. It's possible to get confused. It's possible to make mistakes. It's possible to study the Bible and to come to conclusions that, you know, actually we've misunderstood. And, all right, and we get that. And, 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 and God is gracious. And I think God works through that. And that's, that's I was going to say, that's fine. It, it's not the end of the world, all right? But that's not what we're dealing with in Galatians. Right? What we've got in Galatians is a situation where people are knowingly, consciously, deliberately rejecting the gospel that they knew and are embracing a different way of relating to God. That's the issue. And Paul says that message... All right, the one that you're beginning to embrace and turn towards, it's no gospel. It is not a gospel. You, you go down this road and you are, cutting, you are cutting dead your relationship with God. All right? It's so important. You, you, you follow that message, it's not good news. All right? It will lead you into slavery to idols and to sin in this age, and it will lead you into condemnation in the age to come. Right? This, this is the question. Which are we going to do? Right? And, 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 and in, a, in a sense, even more foundationally, is how can I know which is the right way to go? Right? And, and that question, how do we know which is true? How do I know... You know, because there's a lot of opinions out there, right? There's lots of people telling me what, what God is about, what religion is about, what church is about. And in the midst of all those opinions, how can I know which is the right one? How can I know which is true? 
How can I know which one corresponds with God, which corresponds with reality? How do I know? And that is the question that Paul is addressing now in Galatians chapter 1. Right? He's going to tell us how we know which message to believe. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that I preached to you is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. This is it. This is the key to this whole section of the book of Galatians. Right? Everything that Paul says in the rest of this passage is backing up and demonstrating this claim. Right? The fact that the gospel that Paul proclaims is from God. It is the question of origins. Right? If you have to choose, let me put this, if you have to choose between a religion that is, that is conceived of by humanity, that is approved of by humanity, that is developed by humanity, and, and one that is revealed by God and approved by God and vindicated by God, as we saw last week, Right, that's a no-brainer. Okay, go with the one that comes from God. Because, like, seriously, we don't know anything. We don't know anything. Einstein, we know nothing at all. I mean, seriously, that is so true. The real nature of things we shall never know. Like, we don't even know ourselves. You know, there are, there are things like, how often have you you've done something and you go, oh, I don't know why I did that. And so we don't even know ourselves. We don't even know this human-sized, human-shaped bit of the world. The bit that we are most intimately connected with. The bit we actually directly inhabit. And we, there are parts of us that we don't even know. Right? We, we, don't, we don't know anything. We don't know anything. Alright? Seriously. God knows. God knows what the world is like. He knows what he is like. He knows what we are like. He knows what sin is like. He knows what needs to be done. He knows how he can build a relationship with us. Always, always, always go with the God revealed option. Right? That's what this whole section is about. Right? He's ruling out. He's showing the Galatians that the gospel he preached was revealed to him by Jesus Christ. Right? It wasn't that Paul turned up at Galatia having been being tutored by the apostles, having been studying with the apostles, having been part of the churches in Judea where the apostles were teaching. It's not that he was approved by the apostles and sent out. All right? No, what was Paul doing before he became a Christian? He was like zealously, intensely persecuting the church of God. He was trying to destroy it. Alright? He was totally committed to a whole other religion. Alright? You know, that, that's what was going on. He was advancing in Judaism way beyond many of my own age among my people. He was zealous for the traditions of his fathers. He was following a religion that had been handed down to him, that he had been taught by others. Paul's like, that's not where I'm at anymore. 
And how did he change? How did he change? Because God showed up. When God, he set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Now, Paul wasn't doing an alpha course. He wasn't there seeking, asking questions, open to exploring, listening humbly to the teaching of the apostle. Paul was a raging psychopath. He was going from house to house, dragging Christians to prison, trying to get them killed, torturing them in order to try to get them to deny Jesus Christ. God is not sitting in heaven waiting for Paul to turn to him. He's not sitting there waiting for Paul to become good enough or religious enough or moral enough before he accepts him. Alright? Jesus, Jesus turns up to Paul on the Damascus Road when Paul is not searching for him, when Paul is trying to destroy him, and changes him from someone who inflicts suffering on Christians to becoming somebody who is willing to suffer as a Christian. And he's like, the gospel I preach to you, it came from that encounter with Jesus. I didn't go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before me. I went into Arabia. And then I returned to Damascus. And it was only after three years where Paul had been tutored, as it were, by Jesus, and where Paul had begun preaching and had established his own ministry and had gone public on the gospel. It was only then that he went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with with Cephas, Peter, one of the other apostles. And he only stayed with him for a couple of weeks. And he didn't see any of the other apostles because they're all off being apostles and taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, like Jesus said to I mean, only James, who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, was the only other kind of named person, if you like, that, 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 Paul, that Paul saw. You know, and he's going to say that he wasn't even known by the churches in Judea. See, what Paul believed, what he preaches, he didn't, he couldn't have got from any human being because he wasn't in contact with any other human beings who knew the gospel. church recognizes the truth of the gospel Paul preaches. And they worship him. They worship Jesus because of it. And and that's that's the key. All all the details of Paul's travel, itinerary, and where he went. It's all about showing that, that his gospel, the message that he preaches, is sourced, as it were, from Jesus in a way that is independent of the life of the church. And he's making that point because he he wants to show the Galatians that the gospel he preached was the gospel he received from Jesus. And his argument is, look, you want to get legalistic and stuff, you know, and in a way that might work for you. It might make you feel better about yourself. It might open you to certain spiritual experiences, but it's not true. It's not true. And it will not reconcile you to God. So you need to make a choice. Which message are you going 
to believe? Which gospel are you going to commit yourself to? Who will you trust? Everything depends on it. Everything. And that's why Paul will fight for it. That's why he will contend for the faith. That is why he will call the church back to it. That's why he will give his life to proclaiming it. That's why he will teach it and fight for it and suffer for it and do all he can to maintain it. He said, Paul's like, we don't mess with this. He actually described it. He said, I'm just a faithful steward. My job is like, you know, I'm like a waiter. All right? I don't prepare the meal. I just bring it to the table. All right? I didn't come up with this gospel. I just bring it to the people who need to hear it. And he gives himself so totally to this. And he is willing to endure so much for it. And he is willing to suffer for it and to be persecuted for it. Because he knows where it came from. See, what we believe is what connects us You know, think about, think about your life. The complexities of it. The struggles. The confusion. The pain. The uncertainty. The ambiguities. The broken dreams. The disappointments. The hurts. The failures. In all of that, what do you need? You don't need religion. You don't need morality. You don't need ceremonies. You don't need legalism. face any number of overwhelming circumstances that we call life. We need, it's like, it's like God, I need you here now. I need you here with me now in this. I don't need rules to keep. I don't need behavioral modification. I don't need a ceremony here. I need the presence of of God. You see, that, that is precisely what the gospel brings. Only we would dare. That is what we will be exploring.